This is a Federal News Network podcast. With the rise of ransomware attacks, it's clear the cybersecurity threat in general continues to rise. And so does the shortage of cybersecurity talent to help take it on. Now the government's premier agency on the cyber front has developed a multi-pronged strategy for talent. For details, we turn to the Deputy Director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, Nitin Natarajan. Mr. Natarajan, good to have you on. Thanks for having me on, Tom. Let's begin by maybe quantifying, if you can, how severe the shortage is. What is it the agency is trying to hire? And what could you if there were lots of people lined up outside that were qualified? Globally, you know, the number we've consistently heard is in the millions, right? And I think within the United States, we know there's about a half a million vacant cybersecurity jobs. And more than 35,000 of those are in government, you know, across the federal landscape. And so as we are looking to continue to hire and grow our team, not just here in CISA, but across the DHS enterprise, we want to make sure that we're tapping into talent, not just in the D.C. metro area, but across the nation to help us tackle these new emerging and complex cyber threats that we're facing today. And when you say a cybersecurity employee or a cybersecurity professional, that's really about 25 different possible roles, isn't it? Definitely. I think when people think about cybersecurity jobs, often, you know, what people will say is, well, I'm not a programmer. I'm not an ethical hacker. I'm not a pen tester or on a red team. And I'm not that deep technical base. And so there's clearly no role for me in cybersecurity, right? I'm a firm believer that there is a role for everybody in cybersecurity. And I think that we need that strong technical bench of cyber talent. But we also need a lot of things that work with those teams to help us be successful. And whether that's everything from our communications teams and our ability to execute hiring, right, personnel, budget, all those types of things, that we need to be successful in our mission. And we're looking for folks across that spectrum to help us execute that cyber mission effectively. And I've read here and there that sometimes even people with fine arts or general studies or what they used to call classical education backgrounds can be helpful in a technical area like cyber simply because there's a lot of cat and mouse and psychographic work to determine motivations, origins, and so forth, motivations of cyber attacks and cyber hackers. Definitely. And I think as we look at a lot of our messaging, we have a lot of different communities that we're trying to speak to, right? As we talk about cybersecurity, as we talk about cyber risk, as we talk about helping prepare entities and whether those are in the public or the private sector, whether we're talking about increasing resilience, we need to speak to CEOs and boards and help them prepare and understand risk. We need to talk to technical SMEs and make sure that we're giving them the detailed technical information that they need. And we need to speak to the general public, right, at all age groups and across the spectrum, so that everybody can do their part to help increase cybersecurity resilience across our nation. So having a diverse background, having a diverse educational background, having a diverse experience. I spent the first 13 years of my career as a first responder. I was a paramedic and a flight paramedic, you know. And so bringing different ways of thinking, different experiences and backgrounds to what we do really helps us become a stronger program. And if you were a flight paramedic, I imagine you're pretty cool under pressure, too. I'd like to think so. (laughs) I imagine that's important for a cyber operator, too, when you're really into the spy versus spy situation, that you would need to have that presence of mind. And at CISA now, there is something called the Cyber Talent Management System. Long time in coming, even before CISA was called CISA. So tell us about what it is and how it works. We're really excited about the Cyber Talent Management System. And the CTMS is going to be launching in November, and we are excited to have the opportunity to really change the way we look at not just recruiting and bringing in the finest talent throughout the nation, but how we retain them, 
right? I think we want to really have the ability to both recruit and retain a strong talent here. It really steps away from the way we've traditionally done hiring in the federal government. It steps away from, you know, the traditional kind of old school knowledge, skills, and abilities, and how we apply for a specific job in a specific lane, and really test people on their capabilities, right? How do we test them on the skills that they've learned and show proficiency, and then be able to really use them as a tool within the organization in multiple roles, right? This is a very dynamic landscape that's changing constantly. And so having that ability to have individuals pivot based on their experience to different roles to help tackle these new and emerging challenges is key. And CTMS is really going to allow us to do that. It's also going to allow us to help get a lot of our pay scales commensurate to what we're seeing in the private sector. We're never going to reach in government to the exact private sector levels, but things that allow us to allow for the flexibility. We have some amazing individuals coming out of high school, coming out of undergrad colleges, that have immense experiences are being recruited by top cybersecurity firms in the company, and we want them to. And we want to have that ability to bring on the best talent, even if they didn't follow a traditional educational path, even if they're reskilling or upskilling mid-career. We want to bring those folks in and have a flexible, nimble system to allow us to do that. And frankly, that's CTMS. We're speaking with Nitin Natarajan, Deputy Director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And what under the system can you do with respect to hiring that is not possible under the, or it's maybe very difficult, under the standard hiring merit systems protection system of the government? So I think it's a few things. So as we look at the hiring process, you know, the applicants are going to come through a customized application path that are based on their skills and their interests. And they're going to participate in assessments. We're going to have simulations. And they're going to be able to demonstrate their skills and their potential to perform work that we're looking for within DHS. We're also going to have new and novel compensation structures, really to look at competitive salaries that are market sensitive and based on their demonstrated skills and expertise, right, as opposed to the traditional grade and step model that we've seen in federal service. And allow them to also gain access to higher salaries and incentives based on their impact to the DHS cybersecurity mission. We also look at career development and the ability to encourage them to keep their skills sharp, to be aware of emerging technologies and threats through regular training and professional development. And they'll be participating in classroom and on-the-job learning activities based on their responsibilities, their skills, their interests, and their career goals. And we talked about a range of different roles within the cybersecurity function. This will apply to all of those? It will. It'll apply to junior staff coming in fresh out of school or fresh out of certification and experience all the way through senior executive talent. You know, if we need the opportunity to hire and recruit the nation's foremost expert on X, we'll have that ability to do so utilizing uh, this resource. It also allows for flexibility for folks to come in and out of government, right? I mean, I think a lot of times we hear the days of people coming into federal service and staying for 20 years, 30 years or longer have gone behind us. This will give us a system to allow us to bring in talent, them to go back into the private sector and come back and take that kind of innovative career path to help us in our mission. Now, are these flexibilities available only to the CISA part of DHS or are they available across DHS or can other agencies beyond the department use them? So right now we're deploying this within the department. DHS is kicking off our pilot with CISA and our DHS office of the CIO the chief information officer at headquarters. We do have the ability to utilize this more broadly across the department. I think with the launch of any new novel human capital system, uh, we want to start small. We want to be able to deploy well, but we have the ability to use this across the department. And I think if this goes well, definitely could be something we use more broadly in the U.S. government. And you have statutory backing for this, correct? 
We do. Uh, this has been in place for a number of years now. This is not something that was thrown together in a matter of months or even a few years. This is something that goes back, I want to say it's about five to seven years and uh, coming to fruition. So we've had teams putting a lot of work and effort into it, a lot of analytics, a lot of analysis of what other agencies have done, what the private sector has done to put together this entire system. You know, I'm lucky that I'm coming in kind of on the tail end of the last eight or nine months of this and being able to kind of uh, launch it and bring it to fruition. But this has been a multi-year effort uh, to get us to where we are today. And you have congressional backing is what I was driving at. There's an enabling legislation piece somewhere in the past. There is, yeah. And the other big issue for federal hiring at large nowadays is to increase diversity, inclusion, and especially in your case, in the case of this field, to try to get more women and minorities into the whole technical and cybersecurity framework of work. And are there elements there that you're going to be doing to make sure that that happens? Definitely. I mean, we are looking at attracting and retaining a skilled and diverse workforce across CESA. And we're looking at really expanding our outreach to universities and academic centers. We want to be able to work with a lot of NGOs, nonprofits that are out there to build a pipeline of individuals kind of coming into CESA and being able to build a career here and letting people know what opportunities exist here and making sure those pathways are solid. We're working with a lot of institutions to help us move forward on that. Also, in addition to that, we recently awarded $2 million to two innovative organizations to help develop a cyber workforce training program. Both NPower and the Cyber Warrior organizations are going to focus on unemployed and underemployed and underserved communities, both in rural and urban areas, as well as traditionally underserved communities, including veterans groups, military spouses, women, people of color, to really help them get access to cybersecurity training programs to subsequently help us with a pipeline of great cyber talent coming into the workforce. And we're really thrilled about this opportunity and really hoping to make this scalable and replicable in the future to other organizations. And if there's someone, say, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, or Youngstown, Ohio, or one of the traditional Rust Belt areas where there's so much unemployment and still so much backsliding from the economic opportunities in the country, could folks like that work virtually under the system? Definitely. I mean, one of the other things we're really looking at within CISA is how do we really leverage remote work opportunities, right? I think especially in, in cyberspace, not everybody has to be in the same location. And we really want to look at how do we utilize and tap into talent across the nation? How do we make sure we have the technology to ensure strong collaboration with those members throughout the country? We have a lot of remote workers here within CISA already. We have people spread out throughout the country. We have some that work in regional offices. We have others that work out of their homes. Uh, and we've been able to build this over years here within the organization, and we want to continue to expand this. I think if we keep looking at the same key markets for the same workforce, you know, we're fighting for the same people, right? And competing in the D.C. market or in the Silicon Valley market with the private sector is going to be a challenge, especially when there's talent across the nation. There's talent everywhere, and we want to recruit across the nation to help us meet that mission. And a final question, how does this kick off? I mean, there's not an office in CISA that says CTMS on the door for cybersecurity talent management system, or maybe there is. Are you going to cut a ribbon open to a new facility or just send an email? You can now do this, folks, if you need somebody. So there's not going to be a new facility, but I think we do have a, we did a soft launch on our website at DHS to talk about CTMS. We go live on November 15th, and we're really excited about that. But we will have a lot of communications about how people can access the system, how they can enroll in CTMS, what it means, additional information about 
the benefits of CTMS and how it compares to other systems. We are going to continue to be recruiting cyber talent across all mechanisms, right? So we have CTMS, we have our traditional hiring process. We're going to use all of those available mechanisms to continue to recruit the best talent here within CISA. Well, I don't know that you have a budget for it, but I recommend maybe springing for a sheet cake on the first day, and that'll get people interested. Everybody loves cake. All right. (laughs) Nitin Natarajan is Deputy Director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, part of the Homeland Security Department. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me here. Great to talk about where we're going in the future. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most 
was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. 
It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. The new Deborah Health Report podcast drops the first Wednesday of every month. Visit DeborahHealthReport.com for the latest with Raza Kay as she discusses heart disease, sleep conditions, and more with leading doctors at Deborah Heart and Lung Center. Listen at DeborahHealthReport.com.